0: We're moving into Galatians chapter one, verses six through to ten. The second in our new series that's exploring Paul's letter to the churches of God in the Roman province of Galatia. It might have been the earliest of Paul's writings. And it's a robust uh, letter, as we'll see in a moment. I want us to read the portion together before we say anything more about this, so let's take our reading. If you have your Bibles, follow with me please in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, Let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Mm -hmm. Title for today's talk is There is No Other Gospel. We often complain that there's not much good news in our world and that's because our media outlets generally run with negative stories that report on division and destruction and disaster and decay in our world and good news when it does come is a welcome relief. When we think about it, against that universal backdrop reality of bad news that is the output of human existence, there are multiple voices that are calling for our attention preaching multiple good news stories at us in contrast uh, to the horrors that are often reported. And there are voices coming at us from everywhere and it's different in different parts of the world telling us that we will, here's the good news, we will make and continue to make scientific progress. We will save the planet. We can and we will achieve lasting peace. We can embrace every person, regardless of their race, beliefs and behaviours. We can know true equality. We can eradicate poverty. We can have better health and live for longer. We can be better people. Now that's not an exhaustive list of the variety of good news, um, stories that come at us from various preachers who claim to have the answer to help us to flourish as human beings. We have the capacity, apparently, to make all of that happen. We can be better by our own efforts. The question is, though, whenever we really do stop and think for a moment about the multiple voices and the multiple (coughs) options to us, Well, which ones do we lay hold of? Can we lay hold of them all? Can we really respond and be better? Galatians chapter 1 here in verses 6 through to 10, Paul is telling us, as he was telling people in churches of God in that Roman province then, that yes, against that universal backdrop reality of the bad news, that accompanies human existence, which is the product of our living. And the reason for that is because we are rebel sinners against God. We produce that badness that gets reported. He is saying that against that, there is only one gospel. Gospel meaning good news. There is only one gospel that can bring the true transformation that humanity within itself and within individuals is longing for. That we might flourish. And that only gospel, that one gospel, that one good news that can bring about the change that we're all looking for is the gospel of Christ. Christ the Messiah, the promised one of God who has come to transform those who will trust in him so they might enjoy a life now and forever that is truly life to the full. Very quickly, David dealt with this last week, listen to it on the recordings if you can, but why did Paul write this? The churches of God in this Roman province of Galicia, which is in the middle middle of modern day Turkey, probably and most likely did include uh, the churches of Derby, and Lystra and Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, those are the four churches that we read about that Paul visited in Acts 13 and Acts 14. Now he went through once preaching to them and then he returned back through there again. As he preached in each of the towns and cities on his way through, people came to Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and then become followers of Jesus. And that would have meant that they would have been baptized and together added to form churches of God in those locations. (laughs) He was writing to them because after Paul had gone through and come back with his companions, Barnabas being one of them, there were Jewish teachers that came hot on their heels. (laughs) And they were known as Judaizers. They were people who were taking hold of something of who the Messiah was in Jesus, but were also saying because of their long heritage, you also have to do the things of the Old Testament law in order to be saved. That included adhering to all of the the feast days and the special days during the week and uh, doing the things that Jews had done for centuries. And a major one was the men would have to be circumcised as a guarantee that they were saved they were saying this was necessary to be a genuine Jesus follower now Paul had as I say had been through and back out again he'd had it rough in Lystra those who were his opponents had stoned him to the point where everybody thought he was dead they dragged him outside the city but he was able to get up and carry on that was on his journey out And he went back there again. Now here's here's a man who was determined that the message that he had was a message that must be heard and repeated and repeated and repeated to the same people who'd already heard it. They needed to hear it again. And then as he stepped out of that setting it seems as though these Jewish teachers have come through and have started in the language here of this portion are throwing people into confusion perverting the gospel of Christ. You know the Jewish Preachers with their message appeals to the human heart. It's good for us, in the pride and the arrogance of our humanity, to contribute something to our salvation. It's not only that there's this false teaching that confuses and perverts the purity of the gospel of Christ, that we're going to think about what that is in a moment. That comes from an external source. But you know what? It reacts within us. Because within us we all have a false teacher and preacher. Sinfulness of our hearts that reacts to the things of God in a negative way. That rebellion that is there in each human being because we're all sinners. still there in each of us to make us think that we know better than God. And that's why people were being thrown into confusion. And as Paul said, they were deserting God. They were going after this because it satisfied the pride of the human heart. If you think about it, the gospel that they were coming through with, which was no gospel at all, as Paul said, was the Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus adherence to the Old Testament regulations. What was wrong with that? was that Jesus had said he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in his life. He had come to answer all that the law was telling us about God and our relationship with him. And all the sacrifices that spoke of reconciliation with God and the temporary covering of sin, that was all fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He had come to complete it, not just to be a bolt hole. He was the fulfillment. But the Judaizers were coming through and saying, yes, you can have Jesus, but to be sure that you're saved, you must add all this other stuff in. And they were going after the Gentiles in particular, people who were not Jews at all. So they had none of this heritage. So it was attractive still to the human heart to respond to this. Just a little caution to us who may be Christians and we're listening to this now or in the recording. Be careful what it is that you listen to that comes through the various channels that we've got. We've got a wealth of information that can come to us that is Christian through the internet. Be careful what it is that you let in because very often it's not the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ plus the things that you do or the money that you give or the devotion that you show the level of church attendance, or even it could be the middle class gospel, which is the insurance policy, is that, well, in the West in particular, we have it all sorted. We're in control of everything. We can buy ourselves into and out of anything we like. We've got control. Let's just bolt Jesus on as an insurance policy. That's not the gospel. Be careful what it is we listen to, because within us, there is the false teacher preacher. That responds to what it hears, and likes to tell us that we know better than God. God tells us in His Word that our rebellion as sinners is so complete that there's nothing we can ever do that is enough to repay Him for the cosmic offence that we caused. Can you can, do? You understand what sin is? It is the evil of saying to the God who. Created everything and controls everything and sustains everything. It's turning away from him with a high hand and saying, I know better than you. That's the offence of sin. And the brokenness that is the consequence of that is serious. But the offence stands. The offence of turning away from God. To come then and say that we want salvation from God, but we'd have it on our own terms, i.e. we will contribute to this salvation, is our refusal once again to accept that God is sovereign, who has all power, knows what is best, and has our best intentions at heart. Anything where we say to God, that's good, but it's not enough is sin we need to be very careful that we don't fall into the trap of Jesus plus works or my comfortable life plus Jesus salvation the good news story the only one is the gospel of Christ alone mention that Paul had gone through Lystra and uh, as he was there he'd been stoned he'd been up against all sorts of opposition. People were coming to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only saviour, and then constituting churches of God. He was up against it all. Look at the opening words of verse 6. He says, I'm astonished. The word he we only have used twice in the New Testament in Paul's writings, and the other one in one of his letters to the church God in Thessalonica, it has this sense of being shocked with fear. And that's the context of it. Paul doesn't shock easily. He's a man who's, who's been up against a lot. But here, he is so shocked by what has happened to these churches that he's not long left to go off to other places. As these preachers have come through, he is shocked, and it's a fearful thing to him about what has happened. This Jesus plus keeping of the Old Testament law was something that shocked him to his core. We see that in the language he uses here. In all of Paul's other letters (coughs) to the churches, you'll find there's an initial uh, greeting. And then he'll go on to a little bit of a pat on the back or a commendation of what it is he's heard about them or he's remembering about them. You don't get that little pat on the back or the commendation with the letter that went to the four or more churches in the region of Galicia. Paul, sitting down. Of course, he sends it with the statement as to who he is and his grace and peace to you from God our Father and so on. He can't help himself because he knows it's in God that grace and peace is found. But then it just stops and he goes, I am shocked with a fear that gets me to the core of my being. That you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. That word deserting, it's there in the international version, is is what it means. You're thinking of the battlefield. And you've got soldiers who suddenly think that the side they're on is going to be the losing side. And they go round the other way. And join the others. Hoping that they're going to win. And their life is going to be preserved. But notice. Who God says. Or who Paul says. And it's God speaking through Paul to us. He says they're deserting. He says you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. To live in the grace of Christ. It's God. Here were people. In hearing this message of Jesus plus who were going after that he says you're deserting God you're like soldiers who are siding with the enemy it's revolt it's rebellion it's sin John Stott a fine bible teacher of last century said this and this is a paraphrase of what he says about this he says by adopting the law The disciples in Galatia were saying that Moses and the law that's associated with him finished what Christ had begun. By submitting to the law and circumcision, they were finishing what Christ had begun. By adding something to Jesus Christ, you are saying that Jesus is not sufficient. That is evil. Paul simply says here that they were deserting quickly the one who had called them to live in the grace of Christ. What is grace? Grace is God doing for us that which we could not do for ourselves. It's undeserved favour of God. Living in that means just resting and enjoying the reality that God wants us for himself and has done everything to bring us to him. Knowing that we cannot do anything ourselves to curry any favour with Him, He says, I've called you. Paul's saying, God has called you to live in this. It's not just a one moment thing of seeing it, it's a, an ongoing daily, daily, daily experience of waking up every day and saying, Thank you, God, for your grace to me in Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving it all. <clears throat> I give myself in return. That's the response. It's not seeking to add to it. Paul is simply saying that this gospel that these teachers were coming through with, he says you're, you're deserting God to another gospel. And then he can't help himself because Paul knows the truth. He says, which is really no gospel at all. <coughs> Living in the grace of Christ is what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to see it in a moment and then think that we add to it by the things that we do in our lives. None of our goodness, none of our devotion, none of our completing a Bible reading plan, none of our financial giving and sacrifice in that measure, or even stalwart church attendance if we're thinking that saves us, along with this trust in Jesus, then Paul says it's evil. It's no gospel at all. Do we get it? can't have it any more clear in Scripture. This was written to them, but it's written to us too, who, are, who can be afflicted by this Jesus plus something, or my self-sufficient life plus Jesus insurance policy. Paul goes as far as to say that is not salvation. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3, please. It's a personal letter of Paul to Titus. And I want us to take another text that just reminds us of what the grace of God is. That God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. I borrowed that definition from a, a preacher called J.T. English. I think it's a helpful one. Yes, it's unmerited favour. We're undeserving as sinners of, of God's salvation. He has every right to judge us, but in his mercy he withholds that so that those who are his will see the grace of God in Christ and love him for it and live in it. Titus 3, verses 4 through to 7, I think help us to understand What this grace is all about, and help us to know that it's not something that we bring to the party plus Jesus or we believe in Jesus and then we bring something to the party or to the table. It's not that. Look at Titus three, four to seven. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that having been justified by grace. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. It's all there. Notice the Trinity that God is. God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. All engaged in bringing us to himself. The love of God our Saviour appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saved us not because of our righteous acts, but because of the perfect life of Jesus that then was sacrificed on the cross. And notice that when that's applied to us, the Father initiated it. The Son, God the Son, stepping in as Jesus the Messiah. He accomplished salvation. And then the Spirit is the one who applies it. The washing of renewal and this rebirth by the Holy Spirit, given to us generously. And then we can say we're justified by grace. We're not justified because we've done enough to appease a holy God who is infinitely holy and infinitely offended by our sin and rebellion. But he is infinitely satisfied in his infinite Son who took on humanity and who was able to bear the infinite wrath of God on our behalf when he died on the cross. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an infinite God and we're finite people. So we need an infinite grace and only God can give it to us. That's the good news of the gospel of Christ. The Jewish preachers were perverting the gospel of Christ. The good news is all about him because the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah that's used in the Old Testament, the one that God promised was going to come And his coming would bring about a whole new world order. That's what we read about in the Old Testament. We're seeing the beginnings of that in our experience now. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a new creation work that God is bringing about that's going to be completed in the future with the new heavens and the new earth. And he begins with individuals like you and me, (coughs) who are drawn to the cross to see that there the eternal Son of God as man in the flesh has died for us. That the grace of God might come to us. We pervert the gospel, the true gospel of Christ, the Messiah, by saying that it's not enough. You know, if we say it's not enough, when Jesus said on the cross, it's finished, it's complete. You know what we're saying to God? We're saying that God doesn't have all power, whereas we do. What a joke. We're also saying that what God has revealed in his word to us is deception. If we think it's us plus Jesus, or Jesus plus something that I can do. That's a denial of God's word. What a joke! Let's be careful not to fall into that. Now then, that this is why you come to probably some of the most shocking sentences in all of the New Testament. Next, verses eight and nine. Paul says, "If we," he was including himself in this because he knew himself he could possibly succumb. To such a, a disregard of the purity of the gospel, so let's be careful that if we think we stand, that we're not falling. Paul says, if we and he was thinking about himself and his companions and probably the apostles, or even an angel from heaven, a messenger sent by God, that preaches an, a gospel that even has a whiff of this, you know what he says? He's he's calling for God to bring a curse on them. It's the Greek word anathema, which means eternal condemnation. Paul, what gives you the right to pronounce eternal condemnation on anyone? That's God's prerogative. Here was the man who said at the end of verse 10, I am the servant of Christ. Who knew the purity of the gospel. And knew that any deviation from that would mean eternal condemnation for the people who received such a gospel and those who in preaching it were believing such a gospel, this is how high the stakes are. Paul is saying any deviation from the purity of the gospel of Christ that in him God has done everything for us to trust in and to believe in and to live in, any deviation from that can result in eternal condemnation. They're shocking, shocking words. But only Paul, under the, the influence of the Holy Spirit as he was writing this, as he was trying to pull these people back from the brink, he was appealing to them with shocking language to say, be careful that you're not thinking that you're saved when actually you're eternally condemned. And anybody who preaches such a thing, call a curse on them. A perverted gospel Affects the eternal destiny of people because it cannot and it will not save them. Only Jesus saves. Mm-hmm. Now Paul concludes this little section with a reminder. Then, verse ten, that he's no people pleaser. You know, he's being accused by these Jewish uh, Judaism teachers that are coming through after him, that his gospel is too easy a gospel. I think David dealt with this last week so go and listen to David's uh, fuller treatment of that they were coming through and saying Paul's gospel is easy it's just saying you, you just have to believe sort of thing, we're, we're interpreting it here it's not it's not that easy you, if you do this, because the Jews for centuries have done these sorts of things if you do this, then you've got it you know what They didn't realise that their gospel was the easier one. Because the human heart responds to that sort of thing where I'm going to come in my pride and contribute to it. And then I feel justified in myself that I've done enough to satisfy God and he is now obligated to save me. That's actually an easier gospel than the gospel of Christ that is all of grace. By saying that we bring anything else To the table in this matter of salvation. And eternal salvation. We are making God a debtor to us. Saying that he is obligated to save us. Because of our giving. Because of our sacrifice. Because of our devotion. Because of our good works. You know earning favour. Is an easy thing. But Paul says that servants of Christ. He wasn't just using that as an exclusive thing for himself because anybody who's brought in to live in the grace of Christ becomes a servant of Christ. We love to follow and do what the Master says. It's saved by faith alone, but faith does not exist alone. One of the reformers said that. It's accompanied by works. They don't bring salvation, but it's the outflow of salvation. He's saying that Servants of Christ are not people pleasers. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying these Judaizers are coming through with the accusation that his gospel is easy because it's it's about resting in this completed grace, this full grace, where we bring nothing to the table. And they're saying that that's easy. And he says, that is not a message that pleases people. Whereas these chaps that are coming through afterwards, they're coming through and they're people pleasers. Do you see it? It's all the way through this little section. It pleases the human heart to hear that we can do something to earn our salvation. That's the easy gospel. But it's no gospel. Mm -hmm. The gospel is not about people pleasing. And for those of us that have the responsibility and high honour and privilege to speak the gospel, and that's all of us, some of us have it in a public setting like this, others We might have it in a private setting with someone. We're preachers of the gospel. We don't read in the New Testament that people shared the gospel, by the way. It says they preached. They reasoned. Go look at the language. That's a little aside. The gospel is not about people pleasing. That's maybe why. Because of our human hearts. Because we have this tendency who want to please people that were reluctant at times to speak of the gospel of Christ. The true gospel of Christ, this grace of God, where there's nothing of us that comes to the table, it doesn't please people. Because the true gospel of Christ humbles a person to the point where they recognise that they are guilty sinners before a holy God. The true gospel of Christ reveals The absolute poverty of human effort to save. And we don't like that. It brings an individual to true repentance at the foot of the cross of Jesus when they recognize that there is everything and I bring nothing. That's hard. That's difficult. The true gospel, the only gospel, the gospel of Christ is difficult because it destroys our pride. But in that humbling moment of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what Paul said in Acts 20 verse 21. That's what he said in summary that his message was that he preached. He said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, as Gentiles, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in that moment when we're at the foot of the cross realising that we can do nothing and God has done everything and we're down in the, in the dust in our faces just like Paul himself was on one occasion. It's at the same moment then that God lifts us to the heights of heaven. You go and read Ephesians chapter 1 and Paul there writes about our salvation as a done deal. That we've been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we come from the lowest place. I was going to say humiliated by the gospel, humbled by the gospel, humiliated in ourselves because we realise there's nothing, and that's hard. We get to that difficult place and we cry out to the God who has shown himself in his fullness of love and mercy in the person of Christ, and he lifts us in that instant to be with him forever, and that's secure. And we have said, "Is Christ and Christ alone. And Christ alone, as the song says, my hope is found. Only in him. In Galatians chapter 5, and verse 11, Paul said this, He said if I am preaching circumcision, he was making a hypothetical case there, he says if I was preaching circumcision, which he wasn't, i.e. this business of doing something to make sure you're saved. He said the offence of the cross has been abolished. The cross to the believer who has come through it is a horrible place but is also the place of greatest joy but it's an offence to those who've yet to get to and through. It's no easy gospel that we're dealing with here. It's a difficult gospel that knocks the pride of human self-endeavour and self-preservation and self-worth, knocks it out of the way, and God shows us that he's done it all for us in Christ Jesus. Maybe as Christians there are times when we have to get back there And this element of us in our goodness doing our own things that we think are going to secure in a more secure way the salvation that God has already made secure in Christ, we need to come back there. God will grant us repentance and that pride will be knocked out of us. And we realise it's not about people pleasing, it's not about pleasing ourselves. Rather we receive the gift of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus, the salvation that is granted in him, and we live in it every day. Do it day after day after day. So, Paul is saying that the gospel is pure, it's of God, it's simple, it's about Christ, who is everything, and it's free. We don't bring anything to the table. And when we live in that, what a difference! What good news. Let's pray.